Hello, and welcome to the MetaPropCast, the podcast of technology and innovation in real estate, where we feature the world's best prop tech CEOs, founders, and VCs. I'm your host, Phil Russo, founding partner at MetaProp Advisors. The MetaPropCast is a production of MetaProp, the global nexus of real estate and technology. Subscribe and listen to the MetaPropCast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or YouTube. Our guest today, it's Monday, May 21st, 2018, on the MetaPropCast is Robert Enton, EVP and CIO at Vornado Realty Trust. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm good, Phil. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm great. Finally, a sunny day in New York, so all is well. Tell me, what is Vornado Realty Trust? Vornado uh, Realty Trust, as most probably know, is a fairly large publicly held real estate investment trust. Ornado has traditionally been a fairly large enterprise in multiple markets. Over the past few years, we've focused on the New York market, having spun off all of our retail holdings, most of our retail holdings into Urban Edge properties, and our Washington portfolio where we spun and acquired JBG uh, into a new entity, uh, JBG Smith Properties. So. The previous Vornado was the combine of all of those, and now they're three indiv- independent public companies. So Vornado Realty Trusts, or Trust or uh, Remain Co., has been described in some of our filings, is a very focused New York City-based REIT. Our properties are uh, a large Class A office buildings all around town. We also have a fairly significant uh, street retail portfolio of, of the highest quality um, we get involved in, we're doing some exciting projects. Uh, the Monahan train station we're building out in partnership with Related um, and, and involved in a Penn Plaza renovation right now. So it's a, it's a very exciting time and a busy time here at Fortnite. It is a vast portfolio. What is your mission, given all that, uh, all those entities within Vornado Realty Trust uh, as chief information officer? Um, well, it's varied. Uh, if you start, I guess you start from the ground up. I'm responsible for the various systems that run the enterprise, uh, software applications, of course, and the infrastructure that these applications run through. So all things networking and wide area networking, um, cybersecurity, software applications, and data are, are tend to be in my purview. Uh, more and more over the past few years that has expanded from kind of the keeper of the various IT systems that run the enterprise to being involved with the um, business operations folks um, as the technology that's occurring in the buildings, building ops technology has uh, certainly been the fastest growing area of IT within the real estate enterprise. So today we're probably almost equally involved in maintaining the what we'll call the corporate network, as well as maintaining the um, the network which uh, supports the Internet of Things, which are all of the um, devices in the building. Let's get your opinion on some of the biggest buzzwords in prop tech these days. 
let's give a thumbs up or thumbs down to what people are talking about. Let's start off with AI. You've called this overplayed. Why? Well, you know, I think I've been quoted as that, but it's a little, um, a little inaccurate. I don't know that it's overplayed as much as, you know, I look at AI as a gradual um, machine learning will profoundly affect the way many things are done in the world. We obviously already see it today. And I think people are waiting for in, uh, some, um, some threshold moment where AI will fundamentally change the way we do certain things in real estate. And I've always seen AI. I was at the Honest Buildings Conference last week where one of the speakers talked about AI and blockchain, and they referred to, um, she referred to the two as kind of tofu. And I, 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 I interpreted that to mean um, kind of amorphous, uh, amorphous flavor because AI is surrounding us, but we don't quite know what it is yet. And I, and I, I said that my comment was, I agree with the tofu comparison for AI, but for blockchain, which we'll talk about in a minute, I, I, I liken it to chili as opposed to tofu, and we'll, <laughs> we'll go there in a couple minutes. But what, what I think she meant and what I would say is that um, it takes a long time for machines to learn, and machine, there, there must be massive amounts of data for machines to learn over. So, again, it's, it, it, it will and does and is creeping its way into almost everything we do, but I think people are not clear on which applications in life AI is going to profoundly affect and which ones they're not. So as an example, radiological um, readings will be profoundly or are already affected. Many, many things in the medical industry where there's massive amounts of data will be profoundly affected. In real estate building operations, where, which is possibly the only place we have, I don't say the only place, but it's the principal place where we have massive amounts of data in real estate, are in the buildings where you have, uh, you know, pulsing uh, meters and such that give off information, you know, every uh, several minutes. So I think buildings will become smart, and through machine learning, they'll pretty much run them, not pretty much, but they'll certain things will run themselves, will optimize themselves and such. But um, looking for the big data application that'll profoundly affect real estate is not a trivial problem. Um, if you if you eliminate residential, you know, in the residential space, uh, home sales and such, you know, what Zillow is doing with AI, of course, has a massive application. But, you know, as it relates to commercial real estate, it's questionable. Um, as it relates to rentals, you know, apartment rentals in the residential side of the space, I assume there's certainly more there about optimizing and, and matching buyers and um, units. But, yeah, I just think AI as a technology... Um, is oftentimes spoken about as if it will be ubiquitous without necessarily stopping to kind of figure out where in our daily lives it's going to have an overpowering effect and where it will not. And relatedly, uh, what about augmented reality? I think a lot of people don't understand the difference. Uh, why do you like that and, and what, how is it affecting the real estate world? Well, I think uh, AR versus VR, right, is has been, been a been a kind of a an ongoing debate for the past bunch of years. Um, I think augmented reality has better applications. For me, I think it's more useful than VR. VR is, I think, a phenomenal gaming platform and provides an incredible immersive user experience. But I think it's more, for me, I think it's more entertainment based than anything else. 
Although, you know, the one 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 application that VR is, is touted in real estate, of course, is to be able to take a walkthrough of a uh, house, apartment, uh, office space and such. And so that that certainly has a play. But it's it's um, all of the VR demonstrations I've sat through while being immersive are a little oftentimes disconcerting. You know, you lose your orientation, sometimes even get dizzy if frame rates aren't high enough. In fact, if you look at the commercials on TV where they, Samsung, I think, has one where each person, each member of the family puts it on and, you know, either almost falls down or is shocked at how cool it is. So, you know, but then move to AR where you're seeing, you know, you're seeing actual reality, but an overlay on top of it providing either uh, images or data uh, to me makes phenomenal sense. You know, now Google tried it with Google Glass in essence years ago. Um, but it was at that point, I think, not really a mature platform. But I think things like imagine the building engineers have glasses on that in every part of the building they go to to do uh, boiler inspections and, and HVAC repairs and such that wherever they go, they're, they have in front of them both the inspection logs looking right at it and or the diagnostic information they need to determine what's wrong or even instructions on how to fix and repair. Um, I just think when you think about a person walking around seeing the world around them and you can match something on their glasses that's really pertinent information to aid them in what they're uh, doing, I would think that's going to have a really profound effect. But think about the software platform that has to um, accompany such a real-life invention. You know, again, go back to Google Glass. You know, Google, what they really essentially did was put the, you know, put the Google search engine um, on a pair of glasses. So when you're walking around, you can say, hey, Google, you know, get me this, get me that. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, really, I call that, you know, that would be 1.0 of a, of a meaningful interface. And how fast things are changing that Google Glass seems almost like a very long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and the big one that everybody is talking about, I get asked about it almost daily. What, are you, what about blockchain? Can you explain what it is for people who are still unsure and why maybe smart cities are already committing to it? Well, I'm not sure I can explain blockchain in its entirety, of course, <laughs> um, and I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on it. Um, I'm very bullish on blockchain. I do think blockchain is going to fundamentally transform the way a lot of things are done, and particularly in real estate. And so when I said earlier, tofu versus chili, I, uh, the analogy that I gave in contrast to the speaker last week was to say that, you know, to me, AI creeps its way in slowly but surely into lots of different areas. And so that's kind of a tofu experience. Chili is a, is a very salient flavor that when you taste it, there's no question um, what you're eating. And I think that's what the experience is going to be like with blockchain. That is that when blockchain platforms... Um, start to transact, they'll the the take up will be very quick once they're trusted and such. Um, so I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about what blockchain is because it's typically thrown about just for uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And the you know the early stage adoption of the technology and perception of what the technology can do is actually significantly hurt by 
you know, this early gold rush and the view that it's a commodity, an investable commodity. Um, you know, blockchain in and of its, I look at blockchain in the following way. Blockchain is to the internet what the internet was to nothing, you know, uh, 18 years ago. So you, plop the, you put the internet on top of a society 18 years ago where there was no content. And everybody said, well, the world's going to change in 6 to 12 months. Everything is going to be different. Retail shopping centers are going to be gone. No one will be doing anything, um, buying anything but online. And, in fact, machines will be buying from each other online. And what everyone stopped, what people didn't consider, in my view, back then was that the amount of content necessary and software development necessary to make that a reality is a fairly long project, and one might argue it's a 15, minimum 15-year project. You know, 15 years later, we now have, um, you know, a, an environment which is more uh, like what was being promised us with the dot-com boom. You know, fast forward to today where we have the Internet, which is a very large layer that's sitting on top of our society. I see blockchain as the transactional, the necessary, secure transactional platform that will sit on top of the internet. And so the, uh, the content is already there. All that the internet, not all that the internet is missing, but one of the things the internet is missing is a fairly ubiquitous, immutable way to um, transact business between partners which cross sovereign lines and cross currencies and that sort of thing. So what blockchain to me provides is an immutable, um, non-anonymous, transactional recording system. If not one of the funny misconceptions is that people think that cryptocurrency is no good because somehow it's uh, anonymous, but in fact it's anything but anonymous. Everything, on, everything recorded in a blockchain is immutable and non-destructible as a result of its technological uh, architecture. What people are mistaking for an anonymity is the following, you know, that, um, that here in the United States today, in fact, it's almost impossible to be anonymous. Um, if you're buying, selling, or trading any kind of cryptocurrency because whatever exchange you're on, whether it's Coinbase or any other exchange, they require verification. So taking fiat and turning it into crypto today in the United States is very difficult to be anonymous. Where that transaction comes out on the other side in some um, other third world country where the regulations are not currently in place for um, registration to convert from crypto back to fiat currency is what it still makes it somewhat of an underworld um, um, platform to, to make payments. But that's going away. In no time at all, you're going to find out that no one can be anonymous on either end of the blockchain uh, ecosystem coming in or going out. Everything in the middle, of course, is 100% um, not anonymous. You just don't know who it is until you figure out on either end of the transaction that the person is a known individual. But leave that for where it is for the moment. I would just say that the conclusion for me is that it's anything but anonymous and it's, and it's incredibly secure. So now the question is, what's it going to do? The tokens themselves, whether they're Bitcoin or Ripple or Ether or any of the ICOs, and, and by the way, the, the proliferation of ICOs, many of them being shams, like in any early gold rush, is also giving this a bad name. But um, I don't see the value of holding cryptocurrency as the value, any more than someone holds cash today. One doesn't hold cash today. They hold their assets in marketable securities and other investments that will grow um, at rates that are better than cash. 
so really the tokens, I think Ethereum will ultimately be the winner because it provides a, well, one of the winners, because it provides an ecosystem where smart contracts um, can be um, implemented and where you can actually easily convert from Ether tokens to asset-based tokens. So here's the, to me, the final kind of, <clears throat> the, the final um, moral of the story. Real estate is one of the most illiquid assets we have out there. And buying partial ownership or selling partial ownership in properties is extremely difficult. You know, so look at the REIT structure, large, complicated public um, structure where people, and all people can do is buy shares in a conglomeration of properties, not necessarily in a specific property. But when, a, when an owner can unlock pieces of equity in their property by selling essentially tokens, which are shares, uh, a, a token that's actually backed by a real asset, a real asset with auditable financial statements on a platform that has, you know, again, has verification from, it's not just the person putting the property up and selling a certain percentage, it's verification from third-party title companies and um, auditors and legal entities. One can then transact business on such a platform where they can buy um, all kinds of pieces of real estate, be it debt or equity, with all kinds of conditions attached to it. And those conditions, by the way, will can be automatically administered via smart contracts on such a platform. Um, you know, I, I think that's, to me, the most exciting thing about blockchain. Some of you know, the other applications that people are talking about are just things where immutable um, records have to be stored, you know, title and ownership records. Obviously, municipalities and cities are looking into it, and some have already had successful uh, implementations of blockchain to record um, property titles and deeds and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of applications. I think the principal ones in real estate would be, again, recording ownership uh, uh, on, on an immutable way in a way that um, with privileges can be um, searched and, and made available to, uh, to people who are authorized to see it. Um, and it but I think the, biggest, the bigger one will be um, when properties can be bought, sold, partially financed, um, MES financing. You know, there's almost nothing that one couldn't do with a smart contract based on either Ether or some other currency that allows that. Now, having said that, the software platforms necessary to support that sort of complex um, ecosystem aren't uh, going to happen overnight either, but I don't see them as being as far away from where we are today with the fundamentals of what we have in technology today. I don't see them as far away from that today as uh, when the dot-com era started in 2000 where there was the wild enthusiasm about how the world was going to change. I think this will be faster um, and more profound because the underlying ecosystem, i.e. the internet and this large wide area network where peer-to-peer -peer networking is easy, that already exists. You know, the last comment I would make though is, you know, the shortage of, um, the shortage of labor in blockchain technology today is profound. I heard something a few weeks ago that said something like, for every 14 jobs, that are open in blockchain programming, there's one individual ready to fill it. So we do have a massive labor shortage. Um, that's probably the biggest limitation right now, that and, of course, the public understanding it. Wow, it's quite ironic, isn't it, that labor, human activity, is still one of the biggest uh, uh, 
drawbacks or, or roadblocks to blockchain. So yeah, well, it does provide. It is a, it's a very different paradigm from a programming point of view. So it is one of those. It really, it's not so unlike the Java rush in 2001, where the world couldn't get enough Java programmers. And today, there's still shortage of Java programmers, but it's not quite at the ratio of um, you know that this is. But you know, this too will pass. You are listening to the MetaPropCast, the podcast of global prop tech innovation. You can go to www.metaprop.org and click on Insights to hear more. We're speaking with Robert Enton, EVP and CIO of Vernado Realty Trust. Robert, uh, in addition to your work at Vernado, you're an adjunct professor at Columbia University teaching IT in the real estate enterprise. In the master's program at our partner, uh, in our accelerator programs, the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning, and Preservation. Tell us briefly, what are your students interested in these days? Uh, there's a variety. Uh, it's, it, we have a fun time at Columbia. They're very engaged. Um, it's an interesting course, you know, the, the purpose of which, you know, IT and the real estate enterprise is to give the master's candidates a kind of bird's eye view of what the ecosystem looks like in the real estate industry. You know, they're about to go out into a variety of jobs in a variety of areas, and they're going to run into um, some challenges, some um, some good things, some challenges, some areas where the real estate industry has not been, you know, the, at the forefront. So it's really um, it's really to, there to give the students kind of a 20,000 foot view of what's going on, what currently exists in the marketplace that really runs most of these companies in all facets. And then the exciting part is, you know, where do we think, the, what is, where are the disruptions going to come from within the real estate space? Technology has upended many industries and of course people are conjecturing how it's going to profoundly affect many others. But in real estate it's unclear where that's going to come from. I mean, you have WeWork you know, many consider is a, is a disruptor, and they certainly are. Um, but it's not as much a technology play, quite frankly, as it is a a understanding a different usage of office space. So, but to get to your question specifically, the students are are, are urban planners, they're architects, they're developers, there's some finance. So we have a wide variety of of students in the class with different interests. So. You know, I do think that I, I get a good smattering of people who are interested in lots of things. You know, I do, the developers are all interested in where are the dramatic shifts in urban planning going to come about. There are a number of platforms out there. And by the way, that's one area where machine learning may have a profound impact, um, where uh, can we look at a piece of land and have a machine start to um, propose various best uses of that piece of land based on zoning, location, demographics, trends, and, and, and tons of things, and based on FAR rights and such, can it in fact even um, picture the, uh, uh, the envelope of a building as an example that's available on a piece of land and such. So like in the urban planning and the developing side, the, you, you have people interested in that. Um, on the finance and, and, and transaction side, they're, they're kind of pegged more to the the traditional stacks of software, the Arguses and the MRIs and the ERDs of the world and what's happening in, in their end of the world. But, uh, you know, I, I think the common thread for all of them is is wondering what's ahead. You know, what are the 
are where are they going to where are the big wow moments going to come from that that may transform what we do and I think we all spend time trying to figure that out um, in in all industries because obviously if you if you kind of see it coming you can better prepare for it. And what do your students uh, expect to do when they enter the real estate industry? Do they all want to be entrepreneurs with startups, or do they see other uh, routes to success? It's hard to tell. You know, I, I, I don't. We, we had 78 enrolled in the last semester. So, I, you know, in the previous years, we had smaller, more intimate groups. Um, in this case, I wasn't able to kind of get to know uh, the interests of, of, of many of them. But... I think that they do seem to have mostly an entrepreneurial flair. Most of them, now they're not going into startups per se, because these are not technology people, they're real estate people. So I think if I had to pick, I'd say most of them want to develop properties. They want to go into real estate investment and development and, um, and, and develop real estate. Uh, it's probably the number one, uh, it seems to be the number one focus of the students in the curriculum. Getting back to the real estate industry in general, uh, how do you see the progress of technology? Is it growing fast enough? Is there enough industry adoption? And is it smart enough? I was having this conversation last week with a with a colleague, one of the Realcom uh, uh, planners, and you know, and the, the question is: Is there worry now? Um, look at the amount of capital. I, I forget what the numbers are, but they're in excess of another three billion and. Prop tech, VC money is floating around at this point. Um, real estate's been a laggard industry for years in terms of adoption of technology. I don't see that changing a lot in comparison to other industries, although the real estate industry is more, it's certainly more accepting of new technology today than it was in the past. The introduction of a lot of institutional owners that are that run real estate more um, from a corporate perspective uh, Business perspective, I think, helps that from the um, from the entre, you know, the developer who is a little bit more closed. But um, it's an interesting and complicated question: Is there too much money uh, in 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 investments today in prop tech ventures? Probably, because there's just not that many. There aren't that many transformations or disruptions that are applicable given the rest of the state of the industry today. And when you pour that much money into a sector like this, a lot of it is going to fail. So from that perspective, you know, if people are worried about a bubble, um, I don't know that there's a bubble like there was, you know, 18 years ago, but I do think that VCs are responsible parties that understand that a certain, a very high percentage of what they put in won't come back and they count on, handfuls of winners to make up for the losers. So, you know, if there's not too much over-exuberance and, and investors won't be, you know, have the right expectations, that end of the perspective is, yeah, sure, there's too much going in. Um, with respect to how quickly the industry can adopt new technologies, you know, you can't, you can't beat father time is the problem. Change management is difficult. Ideas have to come fundamentally make changes and then platforms have to come about that actually work and then you got to get the business community to want to adopt it you know and it's one thing that's interesting about consumer behavior versus commercial uh, behavior is that consumer behavior we've seen 
can change on a dime and things can explode very, very quickly. The Ubers and the Ebays of the world and the Amazons of the world. Consumers mm -hmm. will flock um, in unison quickly to a new piece of technology. It's very interesting. And yet consumers are all individual, independent um, you know, entities, whereas you'd think businesses which employ thousands of employees, hundreds to thousands of employees in an enterprise, that when an enterprise says, we're moving left, let's go, and let's use this new thing, you would think you could get people to shift faster. But in fact, they shift slower because somehow in within an organization, change management um, offers more challenges, it seems, than it does for individual consumers. You know, I look at it like, you know, you look at the flock of birds in the fall that starts to head south and there's hundreds of thousands of them going in a direction and they change and they all change at the same instant um, um, amazingly. Um, that's, that to me looks more like consumer behavior than commercial behavior. So, you know, I think I look at it as a com somewhat complicated question. Um, yeah, I think from the, from the investment side, there's, there's too much money. I think from the opportunity side, there's some phenomenal opportunities, particularly in the building operations area, more so than the corporate accounting world. Uh, building operations is, is clearly where a lot of the explosion amenities and, and occupant experience and um, um, what, the, what the building is going to present to the tomorrow's occupant. I think that's where there's uh, a lot happening. But again, it's, um, you know, is it, will it happen fast enough or smart enough? I think that's in the eye of the beholder. A last question. What are you most excited about or interested in for the rest of the year and maybe next year or two concerning prop tech? I think I gave away my answer in a prior question. You know, I, I look forward to seeing some real um, blockchain applications that starts to demonstrate to the world that it isn't what they think it is. And I think it was Chimera, real Chimera was trying to um, finance the Plaza Hotel. I don't have the facts at my fingertips, but there was, I don't know, four or five hundred million dollar debt issue that they were going to do with a, with a Plaza token, um, which would have been kind of what I was referring to earlier. Uh, that, I think, is all but, most experts say it's all but failed. It's not going to happen. There's just not enough interest. But the fact that as an, an asset of that size with a tokenized value and debt was actually conceived of and was being marketed just a little before its time, perhaps, is pretty amazing. So I, I think for me, you know, that's probably the thing I, uh, you know, out in the horizon that I'm most looking at, uh, more specifically in our, right in front of us, we're, we're doing a lot more in the building technology space than we are in the corporate side. So in the corporate side, we continue to hone our internal systems to be more integrated, provide better analytics, um, hone the, the earnings model we spend a ton of time on because we have a very complicated earnings model. Um, but in the buildings, we, we're doing a lot of exciting things with um, you know, better security systems, turnstile management, facial recognition, um, you know, uh, tenant amenities and such. You know, we're here to support the leasing and operations group who are, who are uh, you know, trying to keep our buildings at the forefront of being the most modern and desirable buildings from the tenant perspective. So, you know, I spend uh, you know, most of my, call it creative time, trying to think about um, that aspect of the business. Robert, it's been great speaking with you today. We really appreciate you being on the MetaPropCast, and we hope to uh, hear more from you in the future.
Well, thank you for having me. I mean, it's a pleasure, and I always enjoy um, uh, being with and dealing with Metaprop because you guys are part of the um, important part of the ecosystem that really focuses on all the early stage um, ideas. So, um, you know, I uh, hats off to you guys, and uh, I look forward to continuing with you. Same here. You have been listening to the MetaPropCast, the podcast of global prop tech innovation. I'm your host, Phil Russo. Thank you for listening, and join us again for the next The MetaPropCast.